Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, welcome to the Future Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montezegui, and today I'm joined by one of this country's number one development experts, John Thomas. John Thomas has a plethora of knowledge when it comes to both developing the medical, multifamily, retail world, his experience in putting deals together, his strategies and knowledge, and the relationships he has all throughout this country make him one of the leading experts in the development world. It's a lot of fun to have John on the show, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. John Thomas, welcome to the show. John, you know, your career has been has been quite impressive. You, you, you spanned multiple different disciplines. You know, when you got into... Uh, a real estate construction, you know, and looking back, what was the path that got you here, right? How, how did you get into this business? My father, who actually I was estranged from most of my life, was a, a middle-level middle management person for uh, originally a company called CPI when I was a child. And then eventually he was a head of related development. He built the Coliseum Project, a number of other major projects around the United States. It always ingrained in me that I wanted to be involved in real estate in some fashion. So when I was very young, my father, when I was 14 and 15, had me working on construction sites, laying tar, laying block, you know, working with cement from a very early age. And then from there, I kind of, I started my first real estate-based company when I was 20 years old. At 20, that was quite the achievement, right? Getting, being able to get in there, as, you know, I always say to everybody, they ask me, what would I do differently? The only thing I would tell them is start earlier. Right, you know, get in there earlier. Start figuring out what I don't know earlier. Do it before you have all the uh, all the accoutrements of being an adult coming along. You know, uh, so at twenty, what was the biggest thing you learned? Well, I learned that if you, if you plan things out and you take a chance, you can you can move dramatically upward in a business. So at twenty, Federal Express, I wrote a letter to Fred Smith, and Fred Smith had opened a number of retail stores around the United States. And I told him if he didn't start segueing tenants into a space, the Confederates would be bankrupt. This is in 1981. So I sent him this long letter. He sends me down in a cargo plane. And I played football in college. I was 360 pounds. There was sweat. I had my only suit was a really thick wool one. And I'm in the middle of summer flying down to Memphis on a cargo plane, on a FedEx plane, with one seat in the middle of the plane. So I get there and the sweat dripping off of me. And Fred goes, son, you could have worn shorts and a T-shirt. So I pitched FedEx about inserting other tenants into Federal Express stores. The airlines were being charged 30% by the travel agents. They were losing their ass and they had to cut their costs somehow. So my pitch was it would cost the airlines 4% if they went into Federal Express stores. If you recall, there were multiple airline stores all over the country. Those were all mine. I sold the business when I was 29 years old and I made my first $10 million. That's awesome, right? That's a great story. From there, where did you go? From there, I, I built a billboard company where I basically, it's the same as the airline. If I found a great location and I could arbitrage what I paid in rent versus what I can get from a tenant in rent, I could make a profit. So then I did 2,200 billboard deals. You know, when you look back over your career, what do you think the greatest accomplishment was? You know, when you, when you look back and go, you know, I, you've done so much, right? Your career has been so expansive. When you look back over that, 
What do you think your greatest accomplishment was? My greatest accomplishment was two things, actually. Finding the right wife recently, my 32-year-old wife I just got married to a few weeks ago. Nice. Baby. And picking the right two partners. I, I never relied on people before and thought I had to do everything myself. Mm. And it wasn't until this iteration of my life today where I have two attorneys that are my partners, one a friend of mine for 20 years and who's in his 70s, Ted Netsky, and then Dan Olswing, who's an attorney left as, as a managing partner of his firm to join me right at three years ago. And letting people, letting me be creative and what I do, acquiring real estate and building real estate, designing real estate, and they run the operational side around my business. Let some of the reins go from me. Well, those are the two most important things I've done in my life. And it's become dramatically a different path of life by doing that. You know, with the ever-changing environment of real estate, you know, we're noticing that tenants are really fickle with the long-term leases. My wife and family and I were just in uh, Europe. Uh, we were at entire malls that were pop-up malls, right? Where the developer really made uh, the mall itself the go-to spot with, with amazing food courts and attractions, and a zoo in it. And, but every one of the leases in there was a six, a three, six or nine month lease. The building itself was the store and gave the retailer a chance to come show their wares, give their uh, clients a taste of what they would, you know, size them, let them feel the product, but then get them used to buying stuff online. So, and, and I thought that was pretty interesting. As you're looking at the real estate world uh, and, and the evolution of it, all the years you've been in it, where, where do you see, what are, what are the changes that you're seeing today? What I'm seeing, I'm anti-cyclical. So I buy against the grain whenever I'm buying. So if people are running away from retail, I'm figuring out how to buy retail. Now, you know, there are all these shopping centers that are out there. No one's buying. So I'm buying these things pretty much the only bidder and getting the exact price we want to go in to buy. But we're able to come up with our supermarket chain, Jet Foods, which, which really arrived from, I can buy the shopping center. How do I fill it? So we staffed our own supermarket company to go do that. So we've taken these 11, 12 cap shopping centers and made them 30, 35% returns by putting our supermarket in and then adding tenants around it. Additionally, we're in the, we're in the hospital business. We got awarded Mercy Hospital recently, um, which hasn't been announced yet, but will be shortly. Um, I own Elgin Hospital. So we're in the health COVID world. We leased uh, Elgin out to the state. We just made a deal with them. Now we're releasing it to another entity. Um, we like health, we like entertainment. And we like the shopping centers. We can anchor our own shopping center with our own tenants. We're looking at, you know, taking over gyms. If we can run the businesses, we know we can run them effectively. And if we can fill up our space, we have a winning shopping center by virtue of cash flows. Hmm. I can add the additional tenants in that we own and control. It's, it's you have a winning business. So we, we've tried to buy centers where they're Amazon proof, you know, with banks or with tenants that really aren't, you know, eyeglass stores. There's things that aren't really going to be competing directly with Amazon. And then we buy those 50% occupied centers and add in our supermarkets or our health clubs now we're working on as well. I was with a grocery store chain on the East Coast a couple of weeks ago, and they are out of Europe and they are growing. They're, they're taking down 30 and 40 uh, spaces a month uh, and trying to pick up as many spaces as they can grab. Uh, you know, they're just taking advantage of exactly what you're talking about. You know, I hired a guy from Amazon last week. Amazon's announced they're doing 1,200 stores in the next year. Nice. Now, I think that that's the, the part. Everybody kind of gets shook up. And I think it's the developer, uh, the real estate uh, groups that are agile, right? Have, able to kind of be flexible and look at it 
not, you know, there's a lot of people who crawled up in a little ball in the fetal position on the ground and said, oh, my God, COVID happened. And they all kind of panicked. And there's others who went, oh, there's an opportunity, right? Well, there are a lot of guys who crawled up in a ball because they own 45 office buildings. Right. And a year from now, they're not going to have any tenants. So the guys who can make money are the guys who can buy those properties. I like to be the third or fourth owner of a property. Mm. So I can reposition it after that the four or five cap deals all burn up and all the commercial market goes disintegrates, which is what's going to happen in the next two, next two years. The commercial real estate market, as we know it, will, will, won't be one-tenth of what it is today. There'll be smoldering fires, not literally, but all these office ones are going to be empty. Fortune 500 companies have figured out 80% of my employees can work from home. And now they figured out, why do we need 400,000 feet? Why do we need a million square feet? Well, the answer is they don't. And they never will again. So how do you repurpose that real estate? And what does that become? Now we're also seeing things like AI take place. A lot of those office jobs that were repetitive and ongoing, we're going to start to see the change of those. I certainly think that just just in one aspect alone, the ability to uh, reinvent themselves with people working from home, all that stuff will, will be quite quite a differentiating factor. Where, where do you see the future of real estate going? What, what do you think the... Uh, if, you, if you look forward to your crystal ball, what are you seeing as your thoughts for the future? We're carefully targeting where we go. I mean, I see in the future, here's what I see. If we have another shutdown of this country, I see 50% unemployment. And if we hit 50% unemployment, I see the major cities of this country ceasing to exist. Because the majority of that 50% unemployment reside in these major cities. You, you hear about, you know, we had all these riots and protests. What's going to happen in the future, in my opinion, if there's another shutdown nationally, will pale in comparison to what we've seen in the past. So I'm trying to go into markets where they're more resistant to those types of issues. You know, North Carolina, the, the rust belt of this country is not going to be the Midwest as, as it exists today. It'll be from North Carolina to Georgia. That's where a chunk of our populace is going to move into. So where am I looking? I'm putting shopping centers in North Carolina and Georgia. I'm moving my stores down to that market. You know, we're working on some stuff in Phoenix. Markets, we think, what exists today won't be the same that exists tomorrow. Um, it's the same migration we see from Chicago today. We see people moving to Lake Geneva. I mean, the housing market in Lake Geneva and New Buffalo have been fantastic over the last six months because people realize, one, they can work from home mostly, and two, when, the, you know, excuse my language, when the shit hits the fan, they want to be not here. So you're, you're seeing that, uh, uh, you know, the bad publicity Chicago's taken has definitely taken a toll on its real estate world. The city flight is bigger than ever before. You know, uh, Chicago's always had that. I think that's the ebb and tide of the city, right? It uh, uh, Everybody rushes downtown. Downtown prices go up. Uh, and things like what's happening now has uh, happened before. Now everybody goes out to the suburbs. Uh, we're seeing places like uh, Dallas and Austin and uh, you know other cities that are doing amazing things with tax incentives that are moving you know, I, I was just down in Texas this week, and I would tell you they are building on every single corner. You cannot get equipment down there. Uh, the projects we have throughout Texas are are growing faster. People are saying to us, uh, get them in there faster, which, uh, you, know, you know, I can remember a time when uh, the city of Chicago was that way, where everywhere you looked, there was a crane. Uh, you're, you're just noticing that uh, the flight from the city is impacting Look at an owner of real estate today. I have a shopping center in Park Forest. I have a supermarket there, so I can't cut it loose. My taxes went up to 700000 It's more than I make in rent from the shopping center. Is my taxes in that shopping center. Right. 
Now, when you see that it's a prevalent issue about commercial real estate, they gave two million house the tax cuts to all the residents of the Chicago area. And what they did was they increased the taxes of commercial properties 10 times to do that. Sure. That doesn't make any sense. Make- People can't afford to pay their taxes and that's justifiable. But they just blanketed and said, okay, let's just do this randomly. So all these small towns, you know, Harvey is the, you know, how do they make money? They, they, no one wants to be there because the tax is so ridiculously high. You can't, people don't want to buy the tax sales. That's right. That's a travesty. And that's, that's, that's in Chicago. That's in all the suburbs immediately around Chicago. It's a problem. You know, as we, as we look at this, that, that restructuring of the tax rules, uh, we're, we're definitely seeing the impact, especially here in Illinois. You know, how many people are, you know, we, we see it in California. Uh, you know, how many of those California businesses are moving uh, to places like Texas where they've just done such a smart job of, uh, in the Southeast, uh, where they've done just such a great job of lowering uh, tax rates. And uh, they, they're, they're now uh, bringing so many new opportunities to the market. You know, as, as we look at businesses going forward, you know, what, does, what does a forward or future, a future looking business look like to you? When I look at future, we buy companies as well, besides what we do in real estate. So what do I want to invest in besides real estate? And what, what can I invest in that I can put in my real estate? Obviously food. The sectors are just are very defined. There's three. There's food. There's health. There's entertainment. There's nothing else. That's it. People have nowhere to go. So we're investing in a streaming company and start working with celebrities that have no venues for their concerts and for their comedy and their and their Broadway plays, they don't have that venue. So we have a company we're developing there. We have a health company we developed to run our own hospitals because you know what? People have to be treated. Irrespective of economies, people have to be taken care of and their health has to be taken care of. So we're investing in our own hospitals, which are Jet Hospitals, that's what our, our hospital group. And we're investing in our own supermarkets, Jet Foods, obviously the, the acronym is for my initials, John Everest Thomas, that's the Jet. So that would be those three sectors, that's it. Certainly technology would be another, but it's not a venue I'm in. So, I mean, that would be the fourth. And other than that, I don't see anything else to invest in. How are you seeing, you know, if you have uh, one task to accomplish every day uh, when you get to the office, and there's one thing you take priority on every day, what's that one task? Raising money. Nice. Every morning. I mean, that's what we have to do. We own 40, 50 properties in three years. Um, we're, we're buying properties every day. I get calls from banks probably 10 a day now. Telling me notes, telling me foreclosures. And it's unbelievable the prevalence. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's going to go from here to something we've never seen before. Much worse than the residential downfall, you're going to see the commercial collapse of the United States and commercial world. And when it hits, it's going to be so disruptive of our economy. Only the only the very strong will survive. And hopefully, hopefully we're, we're one of those groups. And obviously, hopefully you are too. But it's, it's really with careful planning and foresight to get to that, to that point. And we, we think we've positioned ourselves to do that. The other, other business I like these days is uh, aquaponics. We're investing in that now too. Because at some point the food chain gets disrupted because of all the disruption in the economy. Growing our own produce, we we're building a couple of aquaponic facilities around the country to support our grocery stores. You know, I'm uh, working with a developer out in Michigan and uh, we're building a great, uh, a great restaurant there. A really, really beautiful restaurant. We started with growing with the farm first, you know, their, their whole MO was to say, look, we want to make sure that we're sourcing locally, creating locally. Uh, you want to be able to see, see that the brand that they're developing. And uh, they started, the first thing we built was a greenhouse. They're opening next May and uh, they've been producing, you know, all their supplies 
uh, for the last uh, maybe six or eight months. They've been working all, all through the summer. They're doing their first harvesting and you know practice on how they're storing and how, how they're impacting uh, you know the variability for the products before they even get to it. I, I think we're seeing a lot of that in developments today. How well, they things succeed down the path. People have that infrastructure in place. There's a restaurant that will be successful in the future. The restaurants today that are existing, I mean, they'll go the same way as the super as the office building. They'll, they'll become dinosaurs and cease to exist. So the, the people who have that, you know, you know, farm to table mentality or greenhouse mentality, those are the guys we'll see because they've cut their costs and they provided a fresher product in an environment that needs that. And there aren't many places that are doing that today. John, you know, I, I would like to get, you know, from you, what, what do you think the future looks like? If you had a crystal ball right now, what do you think the future is? If, if, the, if you had one bet, uh, one place to put all your money, where would you put that? Canada. <laughs> yeah, I know it's honest. That's pretty. That's I, mean, right. I actually applied for my visa there recently. I'm looking aggressively applying into Toronto and Montreal because I think their economy is much more stable than ours is going to be in the future. Hmm. That's interesting. That's history. So much so that I'm mirroring my office there and building it as we speak. You know, as you, as you look back over your, your career, if you were talking to 18 year old uh, John. Uh, and had to give them some, had to give him some advice, or or uh, or give her some advice. What uh, what might what advice might you give him? I have a 14 year old daughter, so I, I have these discussions often today. But your 14 year old actually talks to you. She talks to me all the time. She doesn't have a choice. <laughs> at least when she's visiting. I'm one of those. Every once in a while, she looks at me like I've got uh, I've got three eyes. Like you know. Oh no, she I, she looks like me. I, I have three eyes too, but I still have to talk to her. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's kind of how it works with us. Yeah, so um, we're really good friends, and I was saying. So what, what I tell my daughter, and I would tell myself, if, if I knew what I knew today, was nothing is a rush. You don't have to rush to do something. You have to take meticulous steps, focus on one target, and move towards that target. When you start splattering and having an array of thoughts, you don't get anything done. You have to focus on one or two things, take slow steps, and move accordingly. I, I, when I, my biggest mistakes I've made when I was younger was not trusting people I probably should have and moving too fast. This is, this is not a race that's won in a day. It's a race that's won over a lifetime. I didn't appreciate that I was in my 50s that, that that was really the case. Just taking the last three or four years of my life to really understand that you don't have to sprint to anything. You don't have to impress anyone. And I grew up very poor. I grew up in Harlem in an apartment of 200 square feet with my mother. Being a white guy in Harlem, not the easiest path in life. So I always aspired to something beyond myself. But I didn't appreciate when I got to certain levels what I, you know, being a billionaire, I didn't, I, I wanted to have more rather than just appreciating what I had in life. So I would say taking your time and being meticulous, appreciating the people that are around you and trusting them, and be happy with what you have because you'll, 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 you'll garner more from life by just doing that and taking time to spend with my family that I do today that I didn't for many decades before. Nice, John. You know, I got to tell you, I uh, I really was excited about having you on the podcast. I know that you're a busy man. I got a lot going on, and, and uh, I promised that I would make it short for you. Uh, if you would, some of your future, I, I would love to have you on again, you know, do a longer segment, get more uh, more of your knowledge and uh, intuition. I, I think it's just it's awesome, and uh, I am extremely grateful to have you on today, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you uh, on the future again. I enjoyed myself. It's great talking to you. Hopefully we'll talk soon. 
Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.